Hey everyone, Taylor here, and thanks for listening to the Bonfire Briefing Podcast. My guest today is Tom Queter, a libertarian who's running for U.S. Senate in New York against Chuck Schumer. We talked about his political journey, Ukraine and U.S. foreign policy, and addressing gun violence. It was an awesome conversation, and I really appreciate him taking time to come on the show. Especially since I mispronounced his name in the beginning. An amateur mistake from an amateur podcaster. My apologies to Mr. Queter. Glad he took it in as cool of a way as he did. And without further ado, here's our conversation. All right, there we go. I think we're good. Tom Quitter, welcome to the show. Quitter, Thomas Daniel Quitter, never quitter, rarely quieter. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> but uh, really, really appreciate you being on the show, man. Um, you know, it's it's really great to talk to you. I actually talked to um, LaMichael Wilson, who's running for uh, governor in Tennessee as a libertarian, just a couple weeks back, and. Um, you know, we had a really good conversation. A lot of my viewership is uh, libertarian leaning. So always, always great to have a, a libertarian on the show. Yeah, I find that uh, most people these days are libertarian leaning. But when I ran in 2020 for state Senate, people I know were asking me why, right? And asked me if I were crazy. <clears throat> and this time around, those same people, now that I'm running for U.S. Senate, uh, are saying things like, good, get them all the hell out of there. <laughs> right yeah see i I've, I've thought that uh for a while too i feel like most people fall into that libertarian camp but they feel like they're cho- they have to choose between a democrat or a republican they feel like they don't have any other options well there's that and there's the perception that the libertarian party gives off <laughs> It's almost good and bad, right? Remember when, when you when you picked up when we greeted each other, you asked me how I was doing. I said good, bad, ugly, and libertarian. Um, I, I think part of the perception of the parties due to the fact that we're okay with arguing each other, and that that tends to hold people back from wanting to get involved because we we seem like a shit show. We're not, but we're open about our arguments. Right. Right. No, other, I mean, no, oh, no, go ahead. The other two parties are not open about their arguments. You only see what makes the national news. You don't see all the political maneuvering that goes on in those parties. And yet you sit around wondering how we ended up with Joe Biden and Donald Trump. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, with with as uh, you know, with with the presidential candidates and I mean, even even down to the, the federal, state and local level, I feel like you know, a lot of people, my, I mean, myself included, you know, I often uh, feel like, you know, neither of the two major parties are representing my views. And I think that, especially over the past couple of years, there, there has to be just this large swath of voters that, that falls into that same category. And I think that's where the Libertarian Party can, can make up a lot of ground. I mean, a lot of people are, are begging for something different at this point. Well, absolutely. And you know, part of the problem is that your average voter doesn't look at voting records. They have these long-run incumbents or people who have jumped from one office to another, and they run on rhetoric, you know, words they say. 
But when you look at their voting records, you have to wonder, did they did they keep their word? And I feel like those who pay attention to the way their representatives vote versus how they speak, uh, they're more likely to come to the Libertarian Party because, you know, if there's one thing we are as individuals within the Libertarian Party is honest about what we want to do and about what we're going to do. Um, you don't see that in the other two parties. No, no, you definitely don't. And I, I think that that contrast is is really clear. I mean, you know, I, I follow a couple of different, you know, libertarian candidates and state parties and, of course, the National Party and everything like that. But that that is one thing that really sticks out to me, you know, uh, from the social media. And if you go to any of the main candidates for the Democrats or the Republicans, or you, you know, you go to their accounts and it's a lot of you know, it's a lot of empty words. It's a lot of fear mongering. It's a lot of, you know, mud throwing and everything like that. But, you know, you go and you look at the Libertarian Party accounts and the Libertarian candidates and their accounts. I mean, they, for you know, all you know, they're very straightforward about what they want to enact when elected. I mean, they tell you exactly what they want to do, exactly what they believe. And um, I mean, I, I found it really, really refreshing personally. And I imagine that, you know, once you're able to get that message out there to the voters, I imagine a lot of them will feel the same way as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, a lot of people think that voting for the Republican Party is voting for less government. But if you look at their voting records and their actions, they just continually build more government, more intrusion into your lives. Uh, conversely, with the Democratic Party, uh, people believe that if you uh, vote Democratic, you're, you're, you're more or will vote for the Democratic Party, rather, uh, you're helping people more. Um, and, and both are wrong, right? Uh, mm -hmm. The systems that are formed for, uh, you know, welfare is a dear, near um, issue to my heart. When we install these systems and we add in economic control, the suppression of rights of the individuals helped by those systems. I'm one of those. I don't have the same constitutional rights that you do because I'm on disability welfare. And therefore, much of what's in the Constitution is not available to me. Um, and, and I don't think that either side of that realizes the, the um, hypocrisy of it. I mean, if you're going to help someone, you shouldn't restrict their rights. And, and if you're going to run on um, shrinking government, you probably shouldn't vote to grow it. Right. No, absolutely. No, I definitely agree with that. And I, like, I, like I've said, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of voters kind of feel that same way. Um, could, you know, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, yourself and, and why you got involved in politics and, and why you decided to run for Senate in the cycle? Uh, so let's, let's go back to uh, 2016. Gary Johnson era, um, my back was to the wall. I wasn't being served by the social programs that are supposed to help me. Um, they were checking off of the boxes saying they had served me, but what they were really doing was uh, suppressing my rights to obtain what I need to live and thrive. Um, I spent about five years stuck in my apartment mm. with, with, with very little activity other than, than getting online, which is how I initially got involved in the Libertarian Party. Um, the interesting thing there is that uh, I had a choice to uh, struggle on my own or accept what the state offered and um, relinquish my life, if you will, 
Um, mm-hmm. And that was over the wheelchairs. I don't know if you're familiar about the wheelchair situation. Um, <clears throat> during that period, I had reapplied for the same exact make and model of wheelchair that I'd had five times prior. And I was denied. And I was told that I had to choose from a range of wheelchairs and that range of wheelchairs didn't offer what I needed. In fact, um, any one of those chairs would have led to my injury within a few months. And that would put me to bed, you know, put me to the bed. That That's a phrase that those in healthcare and medical profession, anybody who's dealt with uh, aging situations, they know what that means. And when you go to the bed, you don't typically come back, right? Mm-hmm. You go to the bed to die. And that that's what I was trying to avoid at the time of Gary Johnson, I was um, buying parts, used parts online. I was having friends with mechanical skills remake parts to keep that current wheelchair limping along. But that, that only went so far. And in the process of looking for parts, I, I found one unused um, for about $4,000. Uh, I believe it was uh, 4500 plus uh, shipping and crating from Texas. The total was about $6,500. Now, mind you, those inadequate shares that were offered to me would have cost the taxpayer about $19,000. Libertarians that I had gotten involved with over disability issues, um, they crowdfunded that share. Oh, wow. Um, Yes. It took two months to crowdfund, ship, and modify the chair for my needs. Uh, through state systems, that takes no less than two years. So that's already 22 months quicker. Right. Um, your tax dollars cannot go towards purchasing a technically used wheelchair. Uh, this one was technically purchased, so it's technically secondhand, but it was never used. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't uh, source your equipment from other sources. They have to go through the system. You have to go through... Uh, what's known as a provider, which is a estate forced middleman, right? Um, basically, they're forcing up the price of that chair because there's an entire other business in the middle. And actually, there tends to be between two and five other businesses in the middle if you need um, modifications or specifications that are, that are specific to you. Um, so how did I come to this party? I was dying at the hands of the state. Mm. Um Libertarians listened to me. Libertarians understood my problems. Um, Libertarians understood my perspective and they welcomed my voice. Uh, The Democrats and Republicans, whom I spent probably 10 years writing in the New York State legislature, they did not. Um, The most I ever got from them was canned response. If you don't know what a canned response is, that's a happy-go-lucky email. It doesn't solve the problem or address you or keep you engaged. It's just meant to make you be quiet and go away. Right. Um, if anything, they offer false hope. So where are we here with this story, right? Democrats and Republicans and the entire government did not offer a solution that worked. And libertarians did. That, that's, that's a big deal. Just crowdfunding this chair has added eight to 20 years to my life. Wow. So when, when someone does that for you, when someone understands your perspective, when someone listens to what you think, feel about the way the systems work as a, as a recipient of that uh, quote-unquote welfare, because let's face it, healthcare is now welfare. My healthcare is attached to my SSI check. Um, that is the pre-qualifier. 
So I gravitated to where I was welcome. People do that. They flow like water. If you make them feel welcome, they come to you. Um, and it's interesting because in a libertarian party, if you advocate for yourself as an individual, whether people agree with you or not, you will typically be respected. Uh, in the other two parties, if, if they don't agree with you, they don't care if you die. Right. That, that's a pretty sharp, rec- that's a pretty sharp uh, realization from my perspective, right? Um, a lot of other people are not in such strict or dire positions, and so it's not as obvious. Um, then, of course, there's the fact that I'm a disability advocate, self-advocate. And so I have, I have a voice. You might notice, I keep talking. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not afraid to say what I believe is right or, or what I believe should be done or, or how I believe things should be done. I'm not afraid to say what's wrong. I'm not afraid to say how I'm suffering. Um, I am perfectly willing to lay it all out there. And, and that's, that's also very libertarian because one of our key unspoken um, principles is that we should be able to advocate for ourselves as people, not just as libertarians, but anyone in this country should be able to advocate for themselves in government. And that's another thing I like about the Libertarian Party. You don't need strategic, deep pocket affiliations in order to run for office. What you need is is policies that make sense. What you need is a presentation that people respect. And, And that's it. Then you can run for office. That sounds like access to my government to me. And I had never had that kind of access before. Um, now, you, you would ask, uh, how did I come to run in 2020? Or did you just mean 2022? Oh, I meant 2022. <laughs> if I said 2020, <laughs> my fault. Yeah. I mean, when you know, when you, you know, lay out your story like that, I mean, it, it, it makes absolute sense, you know, why you got involved with the Libertarian Party. But, you know, yeah, what, what made you want to run for Senate uh, in this cycle? In this cycle, so I do kind of have to go back to the 2020 in order to answer that question. Um, in 2020, which was my first solid year as a registered libertarian, the year after I had uh, registered as a libertarian and formed a Chenango County affiliate, um, I had been part of a group of local libertarians, chairs, and other prominent figures seeking someone to run in this office because we knew, we knew that the Democrats and the Republicans had made a handshake deal for the Senator to go unchallenged and the Assemblywoman to go unchallenged Mm. in that area. Think about that. Democrats and Republicans gave each other a big hugging kiss and said, we'll leave each other alone. It's almost like to have the same direction in mind. Right. Um, And as libertarians, an unopposed incumbent candidate who's bad on his voting record is a prime target. So it was very important for us to run someone against this candidate um, or against this incumbent. We spent about four months looking and it became me. Um, I gained more of the knowledge of the race, more of the knowledge of the issues. And of course, I'm from that district. and, you know, kind of last minute, just kind of a, a bold, brazen, um, throw my hat in move. I became the 
state Senate candidate in 2020 for District 52. <laughs> now, why am I running in 2022? Well, <clears throat> in my run for state Senate, <clears throat> you know, one of the slogans is Peter won't quit. And that's what I'm known for. I mean, I'm alive because I haven't quit. I defeated um, the education system on many occasions as I went through school. Uh, I defeated the FDA in seeking my life-saving drug. Um, I've defeated insurance companies that are propped up by our government, by the way. And so for me to make a bold move like that is not new to me. Uh, I got some criticism from others. Like, who are you? Where did you come from? Why are you doing this? Um, but uh, point being, I ran on the fact that I wouldn't quit. And I was all prepared to run again in 2022 for state senate. And if you paid attention to New York this year, you saw we had some problems with redistricting. Right. Uh, there was five maps before they chose one, which ended up being deemed unconstitutional. Uh, all five of those maps that came out uh, had one thing in agreement, that Tom Queter should be left no more than 10% of his voting base. Because in 2020, uh, I took 12.6% which is uh, over 13,000 votes and then cost another 17,000 people who did vote in every other race to not vote in that race. Um, and and that's, that's something they, I mean, it seems conspiratorial to say they're all against Tom Queter, especially on the first release of two maps. But then the second release of two maps came back and they both only left them 10% of the base. And then the, the fifth one came out that, that too left me only 10% of the base I haven't checked on the one that was drawn by an independent master uh, because by then I was I was running for U.S. Senate. However, I was I was determined to keep running for state senate. Um, but through the course of several months, I got asked to run for U.S. Senate several times by party leadership in New York, um, various members, and. The, my first answer, first time, was not only no, but hell no. Who wants that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as we approached, you know, my, my district got even more screwed up. And as we saw, it would end up being completely redistricting to the point where they've moved a petitioning period, which is going on right now for independent candidates, which in New York, a libertarian is an independent candidate. Um, and so we're approaching the nomination convention for the five statewide races and not only was i asked to run for u.s senate but it was proposed that i i looked for lieutenant governor things like that and what i what i came to find out was that we were this close to nominating a democrat that calls herself a larushian to our line Mm. Um, they would not change their registration to libertarian in New York, we have fusion voting, so that's kind of uh, more in the mix. It's something we have to deal with, and it's something we have to play with strategically as much as we don't like it. Um, but as someone beholden to an extremely oppressive welfare system, I could not let someone from the Democratic Party uh, take our life. Uh, so I threw my hat in, and they didn't even run. That, that's what happened. I got to the nomination uh, convention. I expected her and I expected a libertarian competitor as well. Neither of them, because I, I was put in first, actually stood up and sought nom- nomination. So I ended up being unopposed 
when I thought there would be two other candidates. Um, I took it by well over 90%. And here I am running for U.S. Senate against Chuck Schumer, of all people. Remember, I just stated how I, how I feel about Democrats. Um, and, and when I say that, I mean the politicians in the, right. in the party. I don't mean the individuals who vote that way. Um, I, I have plenty of Democrats who are friends. I love the judge locally, um, though he's mixed up in some problems right now. Um, he's a Democrat who has a sign in his front door that's a hand holding a pistol, and it says, we don't call the police. He's the judge. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a blue dog Democrat. And where I am, more of your Democrats in this area, because we're rural and, and less populated and less rich, we, we tend to have Democrats that are more reasonable, more moderate, more old-fashioned, um, and a lot of them fall into what you might call a blue dog Democrat. So that's, that's how and why I came to run for state Senate or U.S. Senate in 22. Um, and I, I'm really big on the, uh, the uh, standard message of the Libertarian Party to end the drug war. And if you know anything about Chuck Schumer, you know he's part of the reason that Ross Ulbricht is in prison for, I believe, multiple life sentences. And, and he never even handled or, or distributed drugs, but that's what he's in prison for. Um, I think that's ridiculous. And then, of course, Chuck Schumer claims to be pro-pot, uh, pro-cannabis, um, He's actually looking to squash the MOVE Act right now, which is gaining traction in Congress uh, by introducing his own legislation. This is my own take on what's going on with that. Mm -hmm. I believe he's doing that because it's a midterm year and the Republicans are going to retake Congress. This always happens in midterms. This is very reliable. Um, so that his own bill can fail. So squash one and introduce one that will come in just in time to fail. That's how you get to say as a Democrat that I'm pro-cannabis, damn those Republicans. And you have something else to run on again. You're creating your own platform. Right, yeah. And, and you know, you, you know, if you go um, to your Twitter page or your, your website, you know, it's very clear that, you know, you're uh, a big advocate for, for marijuana use and um, even psychedelic drugs for, you know, things like PTSD and everything like that. What are some of the other big issues that you're focusing on in your race for Senate right now? Well, you know, it is post-COVID era, right? Mm -hmm. And people are struggling everywhere. In California, there are towns where you know, people's children are now living in campers in their front or backyards. Um, and it's becoming more and more common for people to live in a camper. Uh, or, or uh, <laughs> if you're familiar with Saturday Night Live, perhaps a van down by the river. Um, the, it is extremely important that we roll back anything that's unnecessary as far as expenditures and that we give our citizens as much relief as possible right now. Our government caused this mess and it's time for our government to try and fix it. Um, if we don't, give people what they need to survive, we're going to see more desperation. And when we see more desperation, we'll see more desperate acts. Uh, this can be mass shootings, this can be suicide. Uh, we, we saw all this through the pandemic, everything kind of exploded. Uh, where I am in rural New York, meth use skyrocketed. These are all things that happen out of desperation. And if we 
can foster an environment, an economic environment more specifically, for our individuals within our nation to thrive, then there will be less desperation. If there's less desperation, well, then there'll be less of all of that. And, you know, we have this Ukraine thing going on. And, and while I can appreciate the trouble that Ukraine is in, and I can appreciate uh, the aggression from uh, Russia not being friendly, <laughs> um, I don't appreciate that we are ignoring, and we are, domestic problems in favor of helping out foreign problems. Um, while I personally stand with Ukraine as far as um, moral support, I, I don't think we need to be spending buckets of money on someone else when it's really our own people who need that money. They, they, they need to keep their money. And I, I, would, I would apply this to far more than Ukraine. I believe our foreign aid system is often used to topple foreign economies. I believe that uh, a fair trade um, would counter any of the ill effects of not offering so much foreign aid. You know, I, I don't think we need to be the world's police. I, I think our, um, our involvement with NATO and even the UN can, because we are the biggest funders, um, can seem like an act of aggression to other countries. And, and you know, What's the first response you have when someone takes a swing at you, whether it's physical or metaphorical? I mean, you're going to swing back. You're either going to swing back or you're going to take a defensive posture. Um, and, and I believe that's what happens more often than not with our foreign issues. I mean, if you look at uh, well, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine right now, Russia's a little, you know, they're not the wealthiest country in the world. They, they don't have it so great sometimes. And that's partly their own fault with their government. Uh, but when we encroach on what's theirs, or even if we just seem to encroach on what's theirs, they react in desperation. Um, if you look at Iran, right? We're all terrified of Iran whenever it hits the news, but I don't know why, because they don't seem to have much. They can't seem to do much. And the reason they're kind of reacting the way they do to us is because we've got their country surrounded with military bases. If I built missile silos all around your house and aimed them at you, would you feel threatened? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it was just pellet guns aimed at your property from all around it, you'd still feel threatened, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So perhaps we need to stop threatening people. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And you, you touched on this, um, you know, a little bit earlier in your answer with the, uh, with, with the mass shootings, you know, they've been, they've been in the news nonstop really over the past couple of weeks. You know, there was the one in Buffalo uh, that left, you know, 10 people killed. And then there was a, a mass school shooting in Uvalde, which is um, about 80 miles West of San Antonio, which is where I live. Um, and, and, you know, amongst all the other shootings that have gone on, Philadelphia, Chattanooga just had one in my home state. Um, you know, what, what are some, some different avenues you think that could be taken to help prevent uh, uh, some of those mass shootings? So 
mass shootings are a difficult topic. Uh, first of all, I want to state that to any victim or family member of any victim of any shooting, whether it's a mass shooting, a police shooting, a domestic shooting, or a shooting of foreign war, whether you're on our side of theirs, um, my, my compassion and my heart are with you because that's loss and, and loss is hard. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I fully emphasize anyone who's lost anyone they loved. But let's put that out there first because that's important. Right. Um, whatever you may think, my answer to this question is not because I don't feel for the victims. Uh, I, I have lost people. Um, I have almost lost people. And I, I understand that loss. I understand that pain. And, and I want that to make it be very, very clear. Um, if we're going to talk about mass shootings, then we need to talk about resources. And that, that doesn't sound right, does it? It sounds cold, but it, but it is a fact. Um, the stimulus that we came up with in the last two years mm-hmm. was the most significant transfer of wealth from the bottom to the top that this country has ever seen. When we do that, we create more desperation. There was an awful lot of money. What did we do to help those with mental health problems in that stimulus? What did we do to understand these problems in the stimulus? Um, what did we do to um, look at how we're affecting people? Well, nothing. We did nothing. We spent all of that money. All of these same people are on TV every day crying about how they feel to victims and, and how they, they, they wish something had been done are the same people who didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. They sat there and they, they, they worried about their pocketbooks and their friends' pocketbooks that allow them a, a luxurious lifestyle or whatever it is they're after, power, fame, uh, just having your name on a piece of paper. You know, a lot of these politicians, there's a list out there. The only thing they've ever done is name a bridge or a road. Um, so, so what did they do? And, and that's, that's really the first question we have to ask. What did they do about this? This isn't a new problem. This isn't something that we haven't been talking about for the last 50 years. I believe it was, what, 69 or 79, that girl that said she hated Mondays was the first publicly known school shooting. Um, it was not the first school shooting, but it was the first widely publicized school shooting. I feel like that a lot of these acts are not as new as people think they are. I believe that our 24-hour news cycle is what keeps them feeling like they're new problems. Um, And again, that is not to take away from my very heartfelt um, empathy for those who have lost anyone or been injured or or passed themselves over violence. Mm -hmm. I, I, I there, there is nothing more egregious than taking the life of another human being. Um, however, if we're going to put this in a political framing, and we're going to think about this in terms of what our government did or didn't do, we have to recognize that all these people that scream about it haven't done anything. They just haven't done anything. So if we're going to talk about mass shootings, I think we need to really get into a room with some people who know what they're talking about, go over the details and figure out where we're wasting our resources and where we're not putting them that's necessary. This comes back to things like uh, ending the war on drugs. Um, If you want to end the war on drugs, you have to also address the addiction epidemic. Um, 
if you want to end mass shootings, you have to address the reasons why, right? Because that addiction is why people keep doing drugs. It's addictive. Right. Um, and something that I know very well, by the way, um, I was prescribed an overdose of opiates at the age of eight. Mm. Uh, I went through that and, and that became alcoholism for a little while in my teens and early 20s. Um, so if we're going to talk about mass shootings, we need to talk about why. Why is this happening? Not what law can we do to stop it? Because when you, when you put two forces against each other, they smack and somebody's in the middle. Um, we, we need to understand why. And I think a, an egregious lack of mental health facilities and an appropriate approaches to mental health problems are the biggest reason why. And again, I'll ask you, in the last two years with all the money we've spent, what did we do for that? Not a damn thing. So I think it's time to end the rhetoric and end the emotional appeal from both sides of this and gain an understanding to get a foothold and a path forward that actually allows us to address the problem. I'm not gonna sit here and claim to have the solution, but I am gonna sit here and claim to know that we haven't done a damn thing about it. And all of this rhetoric is not going to do a damn thing about it. And it's time that someone sits down and does the work. And here's the other thing that people don't realize, your elected, uh, your elected representatives, whether it's in your state legislature in, in a lot of states or, or your Congress nationally, they don't do their jobs. They do nothing. But Chuck himself chases cameras and microphones. That's all he does. He doesn't do anything. The people who do the work are staffers and lobbyists. The decisions are made on dollar amounts. They're not made on what's right, what's wrong, what's legal, what's illegal, and, and what is or isn't the government's job. That's not how these decisions are made anymore. That's the biggest problem. We gotta cut out that dead wood and make sure people start thinking and doing. We gotta bring in work ethic to all of our legislatures. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think someone like you who is ready to step in and and do that work would really be a welcome breath of uh, of fresh air <laughs> compared to what most people are used to getting from their representatives. Uh, you know, I, I hate to cut us off a little short, but I'm a cheapskate who uh, doesn't own Zoom Pro. So we do have a little bit of a time constraint here. We're running down on it. Um, but I you know, wanted to thank you for coming on the show. I really do appreciate you. I've you know, really enjoyed uh, the conversation that we've had. And just here at the end of the show, I wanted to give you an opportunity to you know, plug your website, let people know where they can go donate and you know, talk about some stuff you have coming up, any events, anything like that. People can come out and see you. Anything you want to plug at all, really. Well, let's start with the website. That's thomasquater.us, T-H-O-M-A-S-Q-U-I-T-E-R.us. Again, that's Thomas Daniel Queter, never quitter, rarely quieter, as, as you might have inferred from the interview. Um, one thing I'm doing this Saturday, because I'm also involved with a couple of nonprofits. I'm the board of two nonprofits. Um, one is the Catskill Center for Independence, which serves those with disabilities. Um, and then the other is the New York... Um, volunteer network. It's a, it's a nonprofit started by a libertarian that I know that I joined and we raise money to help individuals 
And we just recently raised $25,000 to renovate the home of a gentleman who's uh, not only a veteran, but he had um, eight knee replacements. And then last year, one went septic and he lost his leg in the middle of a home remodel, right? He was in the middle of remodeling his own home. Hardworking guy, kind to his community, loved to dress up like Santa Claus and give out presents and gifts to the unfortunate children in his community. Um, his name is Russell Jordan. And this Saturday, a libertarian contractor, myself, and the person who began the uh, libertarian, what was it, uh, Liberty Memes for Liberty Fans Charity Group, if I remember, um, it, it's an initiative to donate five bucks, five bucks to a good cause. Um, they've helped me personally, but they, they hopped on board with our nonprofits message and our nonprofits ambition to help another individual. Because of the nonprofit and this, this completely decentralized, arguably anarchist group of people who just want to help others, um, we're, we're going to remodel Russell Jordan's home. Why was this important? People are asking, why would you remodel a home? That's not a wheelchair. That's not a health bill. That's not a medical need. Well, here's the thing. Um, the floors of his home were soft. That's why he was doing the remodel. If you know what soft floors are, you know that's dangerous. And he was walking around on soft floors with one leg and a walker. Uh, his ambulatory son put his leg to the floor and, and got mildly injured. So that, that's not a good situation for him. And here's what people don't understand. If you have a health issue like that, and if you were aging, which Russell is both, um, the county can and will remove you from your home eventually um, and force you into an institution. And if you can't pay for an institution, then you will be forced into a state institution. And, and neither of those situations are good. Right. That's not a way to retain your property and, and hand it down to your family. It's, there's so many problems in that situation. People can lose so much going through that. Uh, just by doing this simple remodel to his home, we give him security for the future, for the end of his life, for his children. Um, we give him more accessibility for his situation so that he can do things and reach things better. Um, actually, he and I had a conversation recently about the, the darndest things, right, that you don't expect when you go through an immobility situation. How much it matters to a person to be able to get a glass of water. If you have to sit there all day and you can't get a glass of water, that's, that's rough. Now, he has family, but in today's economy, they can't always be around. They right. have to work. They have to work. Um, in New York right now, it's tough to get a, uh, an aid in the home. That was my conversation with Tom Queter, Libertarian Senate candidate in New York. We got cut off a little short because I'm a cheapskate who won't pay for Zoom Pro, but I really enjoyed our conversation. I think he has a lot of interesting views on a variety of topics that you won't hear from mainstream candidates. His journey, which has culminated in his Senate run this cycle, is really inspiring. If you're interested in supporting Tom's Senate run, you can donate on his website at thomasqueter.us. If you're interested in learning more about the two nonprofits he was talking about towards the end of the show, you can learn more about the Catskill Center for Independence at ccfi.us and the New York Volunteer Network at nyvolunteers.org. Thanks for listening. Hope you all enjoyed the show.